Good morning. I heard that, Sandy McEwen. You are sassy. I love you for it. I love you for it. <clears throat> so today, as uh, Pastor Chris said, we're going to be finishing up 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We've been there for the past few weeks, and there's a reason for it. Um, it is a, it's a heavy chapter, and it's dealing with a lot of questions that the Corinthians had, uh, questions regarding relational issues. And so we've been working our way through that chapter kind of piece by piece, and, and it's heavy. Um, it's heavy because it's dealing with specific situations, it's giving specific instructions, and a lot of times when you spend a lot of time in a chapter like this, it's, it's easy to forget the context of these commands. It's easy to lose sight of the context of uh, these relational situations that Paul is addressing, and, uh, and I think it's just so important for us today to just focus on the fact that um, as God is calling us to live a certain way, as he's calling us to be a certain kind of people, this is all in light of his love for us. This is all in light of the, the love that he revealed to us on the cross. This is all in light of the love that he sheds upon us anew each and every day. And when we lose sight of that context, I think a lot of times these, uh, these commands that Paul goes through, they can, they can feel really sterile. Uh, and they can feel kind of, kind of void of relationship. And I want to make sure that that is our focus before uh, we, get, we go into our text today. Because Paul is going to address um, some, some things that may not make sense in the context of our world. When you think about the world that we live in and, and how our world operates, and then you go through 1 Corinthians chapter 7, what Paul is addressing, what Paul is calling us to, does not make sense in light of the culture. It didn't make sense 2,000 years ago, and it certainly doesn't make sense today. You think about singleness. Just think about singleness today. Single and ready to mingle, playing the field, try before you buy. These are things that our culture... Is all about. And yet, Paul calls us to celibacy. Paul calls us to uh, wait for the one who God has for us and to remain single until, call, uh, until God calls us into marriage. That doesn't make sense in our culture. When you think about marriage, of uh, marriage being one of sacrificial love and devotion to your spouse, one of one of commitment till till the end of time, that doesn't make sense in our culture that says marriage is all about our happiness, all about us getting what we want out of a person, us filling our cup and fill, and feeling complete. And even as Paul addresses divorce, divorce with godly standards. Divorce with, with, a, with a certain way in which it's supposed to go, with certain things that, that necessitate divorce in God's eyes, in a world where, honestly, I mean, you can get divorced at the drop of a hat. I mean, I, I don't know how many relationships, there were like 24-hour relationships in Hollywood that I witnessed growing up, but this happens all the time. Not only that, but the second that you fall out of love, the second that your feelings change, you can just up and get divorced. It's not a big deal. So, so to think of a, a godly standard or, a, or an operating procedure that goes into divorce, that doesn't really make sense in our culture. And so when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the things that Paul addresses here, um, man, it's a tough chapter. 
It's a tough chapter, and it does not make sense outside of its proper context. And so that's what Paul kind of does in, in this chapter. He's, he's, he's going back over, he's addressing a lot of things that he's already talked to um, up until this point in this chapter. And now he's kind of bringing it all back to home base and saying, guys, I know we're talking about this, but I really want to land the plane in this area. And again, it doesn't make sense. It does not make sense unless you have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. It does not make sense unless you know the love that God poured out for you on, through His Son Jesus on the cross. If you have never come to saving faith in Christ, then what He is calling us to in this chapter and in our text today, it's going to seem like crazy talk. It's going to seem absolutely absurd that Paul would even assume that anyone would want to live in this way. And you're absolutely right. Outside of understanding who Christ is and what he did for you. And so I want to make sure that before we dive into this text, before we dive into the specifics, that we set our focus on the very thing that brings this chapter and this section that we're about to read, its context, which is the love of Christ poured out for you and the relationship that he has called you to enter into. With that being said... Let's go and uh, we'll read the first, let's read 25 through 28. Uh, here Paul begins this section. He says, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I will spare you of that. One quick little clarification uh, with this word betrothed. A lot of times we use that for uh, someone who's spoken for, somebody who's engaged. Um, in this context, it, it literally just means somebody who is a virgin. In fact, if you look in uh, just about any other translation outside of the ESV, uh, they use the word virgin. Uh, they use the word virgin. Now, betrothed could have been used here by the ESV because as you look um, at verses 36 through 38, it kind of seems like Paul is referring uh, referring to possibly some, some virgins with some marital intentions. It seems like uh, they have someone in mind that they're pursuing and they want to know if it's okay. Um, and yet, a lot of translations, they use the word virgin because uh, verses 26 through 27, it seems like a broader context. Just anyone who is single and celibate and kind of considering that next season of life. And so, um, as we read through this, just keep that in mind. Um, this is why this is kind of the classic text where we go when we talk about singleness, um, because that is in fact what, what Paul is addressing here. And again, on the, in the start, it kind of looks like Paul is saying, hey, you really don't have to take this serious. This is just my opinion. This is just one man's point of view. Uh, no, that's not the case here. Paul is very much speaking uh, with the authority of the Lord on this issue. But as you see how he addresses the issue, he's not looking so much for a clear line in the sand. He's looking for context for each person. Be very hard for Paul to speak into each individual situation. He's speaking to a group of people, right? And so to sit there and say that the, that the exact same message for Chris Fritz is the exact same message for John Bryant is the exact same message for, 
I see you, Sandy. You're still sassy, still sassy. Uh, it, it would be really hard to do, right? And so what Paul is doing is he's, he's stepping back and he's saying, hey, let's look at the heart behind this issue. Let's look at the heart behind all of these relational questions that you are bringing before me. Because that's exactly what he's doing in this section. He is responding to relational questions that have been thrown his way. Now, we don't have the first letter, so we don't know exactly what was asked to him or what was asked from him. But he is addressing a list of questions and he's kind of going through it in in a list type fashion. And so because we don't have the first half of that conversation, we're not sure specifically who he's addressing or what he's addressing, but we know what the issue is. And so Paul is stepping back and saying, hey, guys, before we tackle this issue of marriage, before we tackle this issue of divorce, before we tackle this issue of singleness, before we tackle this issue of celibacy before the Lord, whatever it is, let's take a step back and get a greater context for the things that I'm saying. So he's landing the plane here in a place that is going to allow all of us today, whether you are singled, whether you are married, whether you are divorced or contemplating it, uh, wherever you are at in your season of life right now, Paul is saying, can we just take a step back for a second and really look at what life is? Really look at what you are asking and kind of where it fits in the overall big picture of things. And so... Um, that being said, I wonder how many emails Paul would have received uh, today if he would have made a similar statement to the one that we just read. Can we just consider for a second what he actually just said? It's like he basically came up to the pulpit on a Sunday morning and was like, hey, guys, um, I don't know about you, but I've been watching the news a lot this week, and uh, my news app has been blowing up, and uh, I just, I mean, just my opinion, I think we should just call off summer weddings. I know we have a few of them that are coming down the pike, and I just, I don't really think that we should do that this year. It just, it doesn't seem like it's a good time for that. Um, so I don't know if you were really looking forward to getting married or if, you know, that was kind of in your immediate future, but like, maybe we shouldn't. And uh, I know that there's a couple of you out here, uh, you know, we've done some marital counseling and I know that uh, there's some justifiable grounds for divorce out there. Really, I think everyone should just kind of stay put and just deal with it. I I mean, I just, you know, again, just looking at the times, it just kind of seems like really guys overall it's just it's just not a good time for this stuff. So, um let's see the clock says it's 12:17, so let's uh let's pray. Let's let's like <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine the emails that this guy would be getting on Monday morning? Like, you know, Paul is very offended. It's very offended. I was looking forward to my wedding. Now I'm just not sure about it anymore. And you said I had grounds. This guy is just a pig. And you said I had grounds, but now I got to stay with him? Like, because of the season? What does that even mean? I'm not sure Paul would have made it out of the sanctuary alive after a sermon like that. And yet, we will see that behind his instructions are an approach to life that every believer is called to have. Sometimes we get so lost in the, in the what he's addressing that we forget about the, the why, the context that he's really giving these instructions in. Um, we don't know exactly what the present distress 
of verse 26 is that he referenced. Uh, It could be a reference to existing persecution that was currently happening amongst Christians everywhere. Um, It could be that he was looking down the corridors of time and seeing that the writing was on the wall for the greater persecution that was to come. But regardless of uh, whether it was present distress he was referencing or uh, the future distress that the church was going to be facing with the coming persecution, his call to the church was to get focused. As he's addressing these issues, these relational issues, his call is get focused on what matters most. To not get sucked into the everyday circumstances in life. In this case, their desire to marry or their desire to end marriage or their relational status of any kind. He's saying, don't get sucked into those circumstances. Paul understood that our lives are lived in light of something greater than our present circumstances. Satan's a pretty good salesman. I don't know if you guys have noticed that or not. He's, a, he's, he's, he's crafty. And uh, one of the greatest lies that he sells to us so often is that the grass is greener on the other side. That's why it's so easy for us to get uh, sucked into our circumstances because so often we are sucked into the idea of changing our circumstances for the better. And so for the single, as we all know, the lie is, man, if I can just find that guy, if I can just find that girl, if I can just get into that forever relationship, then my life is going to just be everything it was meant to be. I am going to be so fulfilled relationally, spiritually, emotionally, sexually, every way that I can be fulfilled. I am going to find it in marriage. Here we go. And then they get there. And then Satan starts breathing a new lie, right? It's the lie that, oh man, the old ball and chain, huh? Boy, remember when you used to have weekends? Remember when you used to like get to go do what you wanted to do? Remember when like you would just go away with the guys for a weekend and it wouldn't be like, where are you going this weekend? Mm, why didn't you stay home and mow the lawn? You know? You spent how much money? Blah, blah, blah. I could just spend whatever money I wanted. And now it's like, man. So the lie that he sells you then is, boy, you know, as soon as you can cut ties and head in the opposite direction of what's their name, you're going to be so much better off. And our lives just kind of become this, this, this series of looking at our circumstances and loathing them and longing for something better until we get to that place and we look at the grass and we're like, well, this ain't as green as I thought it was going to be. Oh, but look at that pasture land over there. Let's go. And so time and time and time again, we find ourselves focused on circumstances, focused on the here and now. And what Paul is saying is to the church, you need to get focused. Because the times that we're in, the times that we are coming require us to take a step back from being so concerned about, in this case, our relational status. Whether or not we have a wife, whether or not we want to be free of a wife, whether or not we have a husband, whether or not we want to be free of a husband. Take a step back. Because there's something bigger that is about to happen. There's something bigger going on. There's something bigger that God wants you to be a part of than that. But you're missing the forest the midst looking at the tree. And so again, Paul says our lives are to be lived in light of something greater than our present circumstances. Again, I don't know if Paul was ref- referencing present distress. 
But when he wrote it, the church wasn't very popular and was about to enter some pretty dark days of persecution. I'm not a prophet, I don't claim to be one, but as I look at the world that we live in today, a world that is both extremely volatile and and very welcoming of depravity, I think the stage is set for some pretty dark days for followers of Jesus today. Again, I'm not trying to rain on anybody's parade today. I just think that if you were to pop open your news app and take a look around, if you were to look at the talk of the times and, and, and how the talk of Scripture, the truth of God's Word, fits into the culture that we live in today, it doesn't. And it's either you go with the flow or the flow overtakes you and cancels you. Right? That's the world that we live in today. That's, that's reality. If you didn't know that, good morning. <laughs> Happy Sunday. <laughs> Spring forward. <laughs> Get a clue. Um, And so I say all this to say that we may be in a similar time, a similar season where the Spirit of the living God is awakening in us a need to be focused, a need to to, to be light, a need to not focus on these things of this life that detract from the things that matter most. Maybe later. Let's read verses 29 through 31. This is what I mean, brothers. Here, Paul is going to give context to this, to this statement that he just gave, right? Hey, those of you who are single, stay single. Hey, those of you who are seeking divorce, maybe just stay together. Now let's have some, some context. This is, this is what I mean, brothers, in light of this present distress. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they've had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they have no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they have no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Here Paul builds upon his previous point by reminding followers of Jesus that our lives are not to be lived in light of what is temporary. Our lives are not to be lived in light light of what is temporary. Here Paul basically summarizes all that kind of make up our human lives, right? When you think about what he just said, he's basically summarizing in a way the human experience. Our, our marriages, our emotions, our possessions, our, our work and leisure and pastimes. And he puts them all in the same category, doesn't he? The category of temporary. The category of passing away. The category of not going to be here forever. Those who are married are married for a time, for a season. Those who mourn and those who rejoice, those who have emotional highs and are dealing with the emotional baggage of of what has happened in their past or in their present, they only do so for a season. Those who spend time acquiring the stuff of this world are only going to hold on to it as long as they are in this world. And those who work and play in this world will only do so until their final day on this world. 
And so in light of the limited number of our days, in a world that Paul says is passing away, Paul calls believers everywhere to hold what is temporary as secondary. To hold what is temporary as secondary. Moses made a similar plea in Psalm 90, verse 10, where he says, The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger, speaking of the Lord, and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Paul says here, time is growing short. We don't know what he means by that. He may be referencing uh, our time as far as a, a lifetime, a lifespan. He may be looking at his ears and being like, you're a little older than you think you are, and uh, your days are limited. He might be saying that. Or he may very well be alluding to the second coming of Christ, the reality that we are a day closer to the appearing of Jesus. We are a day closer to this world passing away. We are a day closer to this day looking like no other day than we were the day before. But either way, his point is the same. Whether it's our lifetime, our lifespan, or whether it is the end of time as we know it in the second coming of Christ, the point is the same. Marriage is a gift from God in this life, and having one that honors God is a part of the Christian life for many of us. Not all of us, but many of us. But there is more to living the Christian life than what happens inside the walls of your home. Amen? I know that's hard for some of us to realize. I'm not saying, I'm not diminishing the the importance of our families, the role to be husband and wife and mother and father and obedient children too. Where are mine? I'm not saying that isn't important, but it's not all that there is to living the Christian life. The fullness of joy as well as emotional healing from past wounds is something that can be ours in Christ. It is a fruit of the Spirit, and He blesses. He he is close to those who are mourning, and He comforts them. This is a promise that we have in Scripture, but our greatest mission in life is not to search for emotional highs or to find rescue from our deepest griefs. And that's really hard in our world today. We feel like we need to be understood, that we need to be unpacked, that we need to be properly aligned in every way, shape, and form. And we are after the pursuit of happiness in any way, shape, and form. But mostly, a lot of us, we are seeking this, this emotional happiness, this, this, this rejoicing continuously throughout our lives. And frankly, that's not the point of our lives. Yes, in Jesus we find joy. Yes, in Jesus we find healing. But if that's all that we're going after, we're missing so much of what it means to live the life that we've been called to live. Stewarding the wealth that God lends to us in a way that honors Him is a part of the Christian life. If you don't believe me, ask Dave Ramsey. He will talk to you for days about our need to steward the wealth that God has given us in a godly way. Love that man. Help me to get out of debt like that. I mean, man, that goatee has a lot of wisdom in it. Um, But if leaving a financial legacy for our kids is our greatest aim in life, if living like nobody now so that we can live like nobody later is the greatest point to our life as Christians... We've missed the point. Is it a part of living the Christian life? Absolutely. 
Is it a good thing to steward the wealth that God has given us in a way that honors him? Absolutely. Is it everything? Is it our main focus? Hardly. Working hard and enjoying rest are both modeled for us and given to us by God. They are good things. But there is more that God has called us to than what we do what we do for a living and how we rest from it. None of what Paul mentions here are bad or sinful things, are they? A good marriage? That's a good thing. Amen? Yeah. It's a great thing. To have a marriage that honors God? Absolutely. To find our, our, our joy to be a people who rejoices? Is that a good thing? Man, us more than anyone. We should have cause to rejoice. And we should have cause to find healing from every hurt that we have ever experienced within the cross of Jesus Christ, within His blood that He poured for us. There is healing. Amen? That's a really good thing. And the wealth that we get, the the, the stuff that we acquire, the blessings from God, these are good things. God gives them Old Testament, New Testament. We look to Him as the giver of every good thing. And so to honor that which He has had for us is a great thing. To steward it well is a great thing. And the work that He has given to us, the way He has given to us to to provide for ourselves, the the lives that He has given to us, and, and the rest that He provides for us, both in Him and also just the rest that He provides through through a couple vacation days or through a through a walk with Him all alone, like that is a beautiful thing. Right? Absolutely, these are good things. And they are all in fact, a part of what it means to live the Christian life. All of them play some part in what the Christian life really looks like. But each of us, but for each of us, these temporary things can quickly become the thing, can't they? Each of us, these temporary things that are passing away, our marriages, our families, can become the thing. The only thing. Our jobs can become the thing. The only thing. The the vacations that we are pursuing, the next one on the calendar can become the thing. The stuff that we have that we acquire can become so easily for us. Right, Hamilton County? The thing. Healing from emotional wounds. Pursuit of emotional highs. These can become the thing. And Paul calls us to live in such a way where these temporary things never become the thing. Never become the thing that matters most to us. To live as though these temporary things are truly secondary to what matters most in the eyes of God. And Paul illustrates this point a little further in verses 32 through 34. Follow along with me as I read. I want you to be free of anxieties, he says. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. 
And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit. Not to lay any restraint on you. Again, not saying that these things are wrong, that a pursuit of marriage is wrong or, or what have you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. I'm going to read that one last time. That verse 35, I mean, if, if we're talking about a, a crux to this whole passage, it all points back to this. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion for the Lord. Here Paul makes clear, our lives are to be lived in total devotion to what most pleases God. It'd be easy to conclude from this section that Paul has a low view of marriage. Uh, he said it leads to worldly troubles in verse 28. Uh, he says here that it leads to anxieties about worldly things. Uh, it even seems like he's saying that married Christians are uh, supposedly less committed to the cause of Christ than, uh, than our single brethren and sistren? Sisters. Still, we know Paul doesn't have a very low marriage. Uh, show of hands of how many of you have ever been to a Christian wedding that hasn't read Ephesians chapter 5? Like, the guy kind of wrote the passage that, that we go to for marriage, right? I mean, Paul has an incredibly high view of marriage. His point here is not to, to bash marriage or to bash married people. But he makes a fair point. And I think any married person would, would agree. He's using this for, uh, to draw out this, uh, as we're talking about these issues of singleness, marriage, divorce, what have you. He goes back to the issue of marriage to draw out the point that he's trying to make of what he's actually calling people to. Because I don't know if you're catching it by this point, but the point that Paul is driving home has very little to do with their relational issues. He's addressing them, but he's kind of backdooring something else here. Are you catching it? And it comes in that verse 35. And so here, he makes very clear that one of the beauties and duties of marriage is that you are now responsible for more than yourself. Right? And if you think I'm wrong, I don't know, tell your wife that you'll be home in five minutes for dinner and then show up 25 minutes. Right, babe? <laughs> Something that I do weekly. <laughs> and you know what? If it was just me at home, it wouldn't be a big deal. I'd get home and throw a hot dog in the microwave and it would be fine. But my wife has been home for the last hour and a half beating four children with her spare elbows while cutting and chopping and preparing dinner. And, and then I walk in and it's cold. It's like, what did you do? You said five minutes. I put the I put the bread in the oven. Now the bread's cold. What did you do? I don't know. Our life is not our own. If you, if you think that your life is your own when you're married, go and empty out your joint savings account and buy a twenty twenty one charger or something. I I don't know. Come home and be like, honey, it's a must have for us. Don't we look great in this? She'll kill you. Right. 
point that Paul is trying to make here is to show, hey man, if you, if you enter into this marriage, uh, you need to know that you are going to have a, a in a, in a sense, a, a divided interest because of your newfound responsibility. Your life is not your own. You've been joined to somebody. And so there is going to be that, that temptation to, to put the needs of your spouse, to put the desires that they have in your desire to please them, before what we should really be about. Before what our greatest focus should be. This is really hard for us early on in marriage. I mean, me and, me and Liv, we still deal with this sometimes. Uh, where we, um, we have something that we feel like God is calling us to do. Maybe it's a, uh, it, it's a, it's a friend who's in need that just, man, they just, they need someone to talk to. Or maybe it's an opportunity to serve that, that takes one of us away and leaves the other one at home with four kids. Or, or maybe it is, uh, for, for Olivia, she always wants to give to something. She's very generous. I'm not as much. I am just, it's like, like, I mean, oil can. Like, I just, I try. I just, I'm, yeah. I'm a horrible person. Jesus is working on me. Um, but we did. We, uh, we, we struggled. Uh, we, we struggled early on in our marriage to um, when God was calling us into a situation, into a relationship, into an opportunity to serve or to give that was going to take away from us time, family time, time with the kids, time where we are literally like sitting down watching... Little house on the prairie for an hour, not saying anything to each other. You're not going to be here for that? Like, <laughs> do love me some Michael Landon, though. Um, sorry. Okay, I'm back. Um, but the point is, is that er- early on in our marriage, and even now, sometimes it's, it's really hard to, to let us let the other one go and do what God is calling them to do. Because it feels like in that moment the most important thing is me. The most important thing is us. The most important thing is our home. Again, is the home a primary ministry? Absolutely. Is our marriage primary? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Is our influence on our kids' life, is that, is that primary? Yes, absolutely. But will there be times where God calls you out of your home, away from that ministry, to be involved in something else that he is doing? Yeah. Definitely. There are times where it will be a sacrifice. Where you will have to choose between pleasing your spouse or doing what God has called you to do. And Paul's point here is that for someone who isn't married, they don't have that tension. They don't have the cold shoulder. They don't have the size. They don't have the roll of the eyes. They don't have any of that. They don't have the conversation waiting for them when they get home 20 minutes later from that ministry outreach opportunity than what they said that they were going to. Like, they don't have to deal with that. And he says, man, like, that's, that's a blessing. You're free of that anxiety. You're free of that weight. Again, not to say that marriage is a bad thing, but you've got to look before you leap and you've got to realize that you're going to find yourself in a place where you don't just answer for you. Isn't that true? Married people? Yeah. Absolutely. So again, Paul is zooming out from marriage, zooming out from singleness, and what is he making the main point? Our undivided devotion to God. For the married person, they're going to have a struggle. 
For a single person, you're going to have your own struggles. Wherever we find ourselves at on the relational spectrum, we're going to have issues and obstacles, but the main point is our undivided devotion to God. And that's what Paul is drawing out here. And he concludes the chapter in 36 through 40. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It's no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, in, in, in other words, to, to not marry her, to stay separated from him or her, to remain single before God, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well. And he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier as she remains as she is. And I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. I love that conclusion to it. It's just Paul's kind of cheeky way of saying, Hey, guys, come on. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I think I... I kind of know what I'm talking about. Paul's funny. You got to laugh when he says stuff like that. Anyway, um, Paul, you. The point that we see here, the point that drives, the point that Paul drives home in this last section that is that our lives, regardless of the season, are to be fu- fully submitted to God. Our lives, regardless of the season that we find ourselves in. Whether we are married, whether we are single, whether we are single and not wanting to be single, whether we are single and totally fine with being single, whether we are married and wish we were single, whether we are widowers, whether we are widows, wherever we are in life, that season that God gives to us is for the reason of being fully submitted to Him. Undivided in our devotion undivided in our in our pursuit of him undivided in our uh, allegiance to him and the work that he has for us as he concludes his thoughts on these questions that he was asked pertaining to marriage and singleness his conclusion drives home the fact that our relationship status isn't the point right if you have feelings for someone Go ahead, you can choose to marry them. If the choice is between that and spontaneous combustion, just go ahead and do it. It's fine. It's not a sin. Or if you are a widow or widower who have suffered the loss of a spouse whom you love, you are free to pursue marriage with a fellow believer and know that it is not a sin to do so. And if you are single and you believe that God has called you to remain that way for a season or for a few seasons, you are free to remain that way all under the umbrella of his previous thought. In short, in whatever we do, don't let it cause you to lose your focus on what matters most. It's not the main point. Paul's point isn't to downplay marriage or to upsell singleness. These are merely temporary circumstances of a temporary life in a temporary world. And are simply the means that he uses to point the eyes of his readers back to the main point of our lives, which is a life undivided. 
A point that I think Paul summarizes beautifully in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, where he says, For me, speaking of his own life, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There's a life verse, huh? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. When What defines your life the limited number of days that you have on this earth isn't your relationship status or your present joys or your past hurts. It isn't the house that you have or the neighborhood that you live in or the car that you drive or how big your 401k is getting. It isn't the place where you work or where you're going to go on your next vacation, but instead it's the person of Jesus Christ. It's pursuing your relationship with Him. It's pursuing the things that bring Him joy and putting the death in our lives, the things that grieve Him. It's pursuing what He values most in every situation. And it's pursuing the work that He has called us to in every season that we find ourselves in. This shouldn't take any of us by surprise because this is the exact kind of life that Jesus called us to from the very start. We see it all over the four Gospels. In Matthew 16, verses 24 through 25, Jesus said, uh, Then he told his disciples, If any of you would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would, would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And again in Matthew six nineteen and 20, Jesus says, Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And he concludes that section in Matthew uh, six thirty three. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Jesus continues, uh, continuously calls his followers to live this life in light of the next. To view our temporary circumstances, to view our temporary seasons, to view our temporary stations in life as just that. And to live in a way that elevates what is most real. What is most worthy of our time. What is most worthy of our focus, our attention, our pursuit? And this wasn't just something that Jesus taught about. It was something that he modeled perfectly. And we see this in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking not to our circumstances looking not to the temporary, looking not to the season that we find ourselves in or the season that we long to be in, but instead looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Guys, this life makes absolutely no sense. This type of life makes absolutely no sense unless you understand the life that he lived for you. Unless you truly understand who Jesus is, unless you truly understand what he did for you, unless you truly understand what he left to walk amongst you and how he lived to replace the way that you live. 
and how he died to become the sacrifice on your behalf and how he rose from the dead from the power of God to defeat the powers of sin and death unless you truly have looked to him as your Lord and Savior and believed in who he is and how much he loves you, this life makes no sense. To put all of the temporary, to put all of the circumstances aside, to make all of those things secondary and to make him primary, that makes no sense. Unless you know his love and are growing in your understanding and experience of his love. Unless you are pursuing him with reckless abandon unless you are making him the focus of your life and causing everything else to lose focus, this type of life makes no sense. And yet it's the one that we're called to in light of who he is and what he's done for you. If you're here today and you have never placed your faith in Jesus, come talk to me. Come talk to one of our elders up front. We want to help you make sense of this. And if it doesn't make sense, if you have a visceral response to the things that Paul is saying, to the things that Scripture is affirming, to the life that we have been called to, great. I don't expect it to make sense to you. But we would love to talk to you about it. We would love to have an honest conversation about the love that God has for you as revealed through His Son, Jesus. So come and talk to us about that. But for those of us who are here and we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we know his love, even for us. It's so easy for us to take our eyes off of him and to get lost in the questions and the circumstances that pertain to life in this world and lose sight of the life that he's calling us to. For the Corinthians, it was questions pertaining to earthly relationships. For us, it could be questions pertaining to any number of things, depending on what season you find yourself in. Where should I go to college? Am I choosing the best career path? Does that person like me? Will we end up together? I hope so. He's so dreamy. (laughs) When will this pain inside stop? And when will anyone fully understand how badly I've been hurt? When is anybody going to get this? Is this the right job? Is this the right house? Is this the right neighborhood? Is this the right school system? Is this the right church? Is this the right spouse? Where and when is the next vacation going to be? When should I retire? Will I have enough when that day comes? Probably not. It's so easy to get lost in the stuff of this life. And the Christian life kind of becomes at that point like like ketchup. It's not really the main thing. It's just something that we add to whatever we consider to be the main thing. I thought it was good. It made sense in my head. I'll go back to my notes. I'm sorry. But it does. The Christian life becomes an additive into what we value most, an additive into whatever we think is most important. And, oh yeah, I guess i got to read my Bible too. Man, I am really following, I'm going hard in the paint after this thing. And, oh yeah, i got to go to church today and pray. i gotta, I got to go serve over here. It becomes this, this, this offshoot of what we're really shooting for. 
And that's not the life that we've been called to have. We have been called to have undivided focus, our eyes fixed on Jesus, our life defined by the person and work and presence of Jesus moving in and through us to radically change the world around us. This is the life we've been called to have. And if we're settling for something less, then the life we are living is not the life we have been called to live. And again, it's not to say that the stuff that we are pursuing is not stuff that God deems good. It doesn't necessarily make it a sin, but it can become that, can it? Any good thing can become a bad thing when it is misaligned with the main thing. And so that's the question that we need to ask ourselves. What are we looking to in this life? What are we running after? What's the main thing for us? Are we divided? Or are we undivided in our attention to who our Savior is and what He wants for us in every season, in every situation, regardless of our circumstances, good or bad? Is He the main thing? Let's pray. God, I confess to you that so often you are not the main thing for me. That when the call is to sacrifice, especially my time, um, that I quickly choose that which I value most. I choose time with Olivia. I choose time with, with my boys and um, And I'm unwilling to press into the situations or the relationships that you're calling me to because uh, because they cost something. Um, God, I confess that to you and I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would redeem in me and that you would help me to model for my wife, that you would help me to model for my boys and Lucy what it looks like to live an undivided life. And God, I know that that's just me. I know that every single one of us, that we struggle in some way, shape, or form to make you the most important thing, to make you the thing that all other things bow to. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict and move, not out of a heavy hand, but out of love. You love us so much, and you want what is best for us. And a life that is divided is not what is best for us. That is not what you've called your church to be. That's not what you've called your people to be. Not because you are a cruel God, but because you are a loving Father. And you want your children to be focused on what matters most. And we buy into the lie so often, God, that all these other things are what matters most. And I pray that you would lovingly call us back to your truth because that's the kind of father that you are. Thank you for your grace. Help us to see you clearer today than we ever have before. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.